Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Here we are, Labor Day weekend. Fans go nuts. That means we're closer to the fall. It is Indiana Outdoor Show, and I am your host, Brian Pointer. So great to be with you. It's Indiana Outdoor Saturday. All across the state of Indiana, couldn't do the show without you. Many thanks to those that listen and have for all these two decades plus and all those stations at Curious. we got some new ones coming online. More on that later. But... Labor Day weekend, always a traditionally big outdoor weekend, camping full, lakes, a lot of boats, a lot of folks getting ready for hunting season. We're going to be talking about all of it. We're going to kick things off here on Indiana Outdoors this Labor Day weekend. Dan Borat is the new director of the Indiana Wildlife Federation by a few months, and we're going to get our introduction to Dan. What a diverse background. You're going to be very, very interested in what Dan brings to the leadership of of IWF fall RV and boat show coming up. Very excited about that. There may be a camper in my future. I'm not sure, but we're going to be talking to Kevin Renfro, Renfro Productions about the upcoming fall boat and RV show. And then it's always one of the highlights of Indian outdoors when Guy Relford, the gun guy, wildly popular show on our home station. He's going to be with us kind of keeping an eye on two a issues that are taking place around the country and maybe even what's going on with the two a project, his organization focused on Indiana. As you can see, it's a big show. I don't want to take any time away from the Indiana Wildlife Federation. I am your host, Brian Pointer. We're brought to you by Indiana Donor Network, driven to save lives.org, right after this. Well, here we are. It's Labor Day weekend. It is the Indiana Outdoor Show. I am your host, Brian Pointer. So great to be with you. Brought to you by our good friends at Indiana Donor Network, driven to save lives.org. As you know, you can buy your, well, you can buy your hunting and fishing license online, but why not sign up to be an organ and tissue donor at the same time? Couldn't be any easier. Many thanks to them. Many thanks to all the stations that carry Indiana Outdoors this week and every weekend hopefully as folks now are all well back into school and things are winding down we're looking forward to the fall and the hunting season all is good always great to catch up with our friends as you heard me say at the top of the hour in our conservation groups are great men and women who are providing stewardship for conservation and joining me today is dan borett he is the executive director of the indiana wildlife federation and Dan, I've given you a little bit of runway here to get your feet under your ground on the ground here, but you probably have all the problems solved and addressed all the major conservation issues in the short time you've been executive director. Well done. 
I, I, I wish I could own up to that. Unfortunately, as we all know, there's there's a lot of challenges on the horizon, and, and some we're making ground on, some we're continuing to fight as hard as we can. Well, Dan, first and foremost, thanks to be a, being a part of Indiana Outdoors, and thank you for leading the Indiana Wildlife Federation, and you've had such great lineage of leadership in the IWF and such a great organization. Let's go back to the beginning, maybe not quite to your birth, but how did you end up being the executive director of the Indiana Wildlife Federation? What was your path? Yeah, for sure. Well, uh, in a lot of ways, it begins with my very early childhood. Um, I was fortunate enough to grow up in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. Most people think of it as a uh, historical uh, mecca, which it certainly is. Uh, my father was a Civil War history professor, which is how we ended up there. Oh, very uh, cool. Yeah. I'm kind of a, yeah, an no. amateur myself. Well, 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 we'll talk about that offline. Um, I can talk all day about Gettysburg and the Civil War. Um, but uh, I was fortunate enough to grow up on uh, 130 acres of land in kind of one of the most idealistic settings there is there were hills there were woods there was a large creek that flowed through the property um and you know it was a different time uh but i kind of grew up as a feral child I'm, I'm 10 years younger than my oldest brother and i think my parents were kind of like hey they don't die that easily they, they can do what they want so i i was i got to really just grow up running around in nature um and it, it was amazing. I would spend days just walking around, stomping through creeks, looking at birds, you know, kind of everything kids love to do. Um, and I never looked back. So Did, Wait a minute. I, I got to back the bus up. Just so, Did you say a feral child? Feral child. Yeah. I'm, I'm stealing yeah. that. I still think I'm a feral child, so I'm going with that. Yeah. I'm, I'm taking that. Well, and I wish I was raising my children a little more feraly. Uh, I, think, I think there's a lot of value in it. Indeed, indeed. Sorry to interrupt you, but I just had to go back and make sure I heard that correctly because I got a new one now for my bebonics. I love it. I love it. Um, so, uh, you know, I always, always loved animals and nature. Um, I, I went to uh, college at a small school in North Carolina called Davidson College. People now know of it because of Steph Curry. Um, but little tiny school that afforded me the opportunity to really focus on what I wanted to. Uh, and I had a, a, a professor at the time who was an ornithologist who I gravitated towards and took multiple independent studies in ornithology. So the study of birds, um, for a while, I wanted to be a vet, started working for vets, did not love it, didn't like kind of the, the, the stagnation of being in an office most of the time. I had read the James Harriet books, and that's what I envisioned. And, you know, that doesn't, that doesn't exist quite the way he, idea, uh, he, he, he detailed it. Um, so started to scratch my head, wanted, didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, I uh, got various internships, one at a wild bird rehab center, one at a zoo in South Carolina. Uh, I studied abroad my junior year in Namibia, uh, which is in southwestern Africa, with the Cheetah Conservation Fund, and that really, that really lit a fire under me. I, I, from that moment on, I knew I wanted to do something with wild animals. Um, I kind of envisioned myself running around the savannas of Africa, uh, and uh, probably would have if I soon after college had met uh, my 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 now wife. And you know, when you find somebody you like running around nine months out of the year isn't all that all that practical um so i was fortunate enough to get a a job at the smithsonian um and i uh it started out as an education intern 
and ultimately left, I think, 12 years later as the curator of birds to spend a lot of time um, working with, with captive animals. But one wonderful thing about the Smithsonian is you are adjacent to some of the best scientists in the world, some of the best research scientists in the world. And it afforded me all sorts of opportunities. I got to study seals in Antarctica for five months, um, banded birds all over the world. So really kind of fell in love with that. Uh, My wife, who I mentioned before, uh, is from Indiana. And when she got pregnant with our first child, we, we knew that D.C. wasn't where we wanted to raise our kids. So we had to start thinking about what we were gonna do. And we made a short list of cities that we could move on. If one person got a job, the other person would figure out. Uh, my wife, who's always been much more employable than I, got a job here. We moved back to her hometown. We live about about a mile and a half from where she grew up, which is pretty cool. Uh, and I was a stay-at-home dad for a bit. And then I worked at the Indianapolis, Indianapolis Zoo for a bit. Um, then I was a stay-at-home dad again with our, our second child. Um, then I uh, took a job as uh, the manager of Holiday Park, which is a local environmental education park here in uh, Indianapolis. Um, was there for about five or six years. Honestly, didn't think I was going to leave that. I loved it. Still love the place. Um, and uh, this job came up, and I kind of applied for it on a whim and was Look at you now. to... Yeah, exactly. Was fortunate enough to be considered, and here I am, and and really just feel incredibly fortunate to be a part of 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 the, the uh, of the of the organization as well as the conservation community here in Indiana. Well, very diverse background, and I'm sure that uh, you know when it was 100 degrees, you were wish you were studying baby seals back wherever you were doing that uh, last yes. week. But welcome back to Indiana, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's 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 nice, and actually, on one of those hundred degree days, I I checked the weather in uh, McMurdo Station, which is where we were based out of, and it was uh, seventeen below zero. So yes, I, like, I think a hundred. I think is better than seventeen below. I'm, I want an Airbnb there. That's where I want to go. Dan Board is our <laughs> guest. He's the executive director of the Indiana Wildlife Federation. Several months now into the job, very fortunate to have you, as you heard, with a very impressive resume. Let's talk about the IWF for those that may not be familiar across the state of indiana great organization what do you do yeah so we 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 do a little bit of everything um we are the oldest nation organization in the state uh 1938 was our our founding um and we uh, are affiliated with the national wildlife federation uh we are the indiana state chapter of it and if you aren't familiar with nwf you probably are familiar with ranger rick they are one and the same um so IWF is a is a environmental organization that focuses on common sense conservation, and we cast a very large tent. You know, there's a lot of great groups in the state, and we kind of try to encompass all of them. Uh, a phrase I started to use a lot recently, which uh, one of our our um, board members relayed to me is we think of ourselves and I think of IWF as kind of the Willie Nelson of conservation. Hippies and rednecks both love us. And that's that's the tent we're trying to build. We want everyone who cares about whatever aspect of our environment to be here. If you're a fisher, a hunter, if you're a hiker, if you're a native plant enthusiast, we want part of IWF because the only way we're going to affect change in the state is to cast that really wide net and bring people who have 
a really, really common ethic of, of stewardship, of love of the land into, into our fold. And we're not going to agree on everything, and nobody does. Um, but we can agree on we want clean water. We want public access for hunting and fishing. We want more public spaces in our state for us all to enjoy. And that's really what we're after. Um, we've got a few really exciting projects on the horizon, uh, some which are further along, some which are very much in their infancy. Um, but, but two, I want to call out are um, the Ohio River, which the vast majority of our state drains into either through the Wabash or directly into the Ohio, uh, is often considered the most polluted major river in, in the country. Uh, it's about time we started to focus on it like we started to focus on the Great Lakes about 20 years. And I'm happy, happy to let people know that through uh, NWS leadership and a bunch of partners, I think we're really starting to make some headway there. So we are expecting and hoping that some federal dollars will start to pour in and we can really try to return the Ohio back to its glory days. Um, it's not just an Indiana problem. It's an entire, I mean, it's entire east of the Rockies problem because it goes into the Mississippi ultimately, but it starts in Pennsylvania where I grew up and comes all the way into um, Indiana and then ultimately into the Mississippi and the Gulf of Mexico. So it's a really, really impactful project. Um, but not we, we we've turned a blind eye to it too long and we're really hopeful that the momentum is here and we'll be able to kind of kind of activate a coalition of partners that that can really affect some change on the ohio um that's important for a variety of reasons of course clean water but some of the most amazing fish in the midwest used to live in the ohio and we want to get back to that um and in, kind of in tandem with that, uh, this is a this is a farm bill expiration year. So the the farm bill, which most people don't think of when they think of conservation, but they should, uh, expires uh, in later this fall. And we are actively working with our our federal legislators, um, and of course everyone throughout the country, all of our other NWF affiliates, and many more organizations, to try to continue to build on the momentum of conservation programs in the farm bill um the farm bill is a massive 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 piece of, of legislation uh billions and billions of dollars uh but it is also the single largest funder of conservation in in uh the country and that's everything from land use practices cover cropping trying to prevent a lot of that fertilizer and runoff from going into our waterways but even more than that it it, it is essentially paying farmers to keep their land in natural states or return to natural states, providing wildlife habitat, as well as giving access to hunters to, to utilize private lands, um, which in a state like Indiana is, is imminently important because we are one of the worst states in the country in terms of overall public land. We're just about, we're just under 7% total, uh, total square mileage um, in our state as public land. There are some states that are well above 80%. So um, if we don't have that private land in the mix for our sportsmen, then they, there's not enough There's not enough space. I love the conversation. We're visiting with Dan Borat. He is the executive director of the Indiana Wildlife Federation. So gracious for you to join us. And such a 
just you've got a very diverse uh, agenda. You've got a very diverse board. You've got a, a lot of constituents out there with a lot of interest. And it sounds like you're going to be able to weave that minefield uh, adequately on the for the bene- betterment betterment of all of those consumers of the outdoors and conservationist alike. So kind of the rest of the year, if people want to get in touch, you're a member-based organization. I'm a big advocate of people joining and being a part of something. How do people join the Indiana Wildlife Federation? Yeah, we we make it as easy as we can. Uh, Wildlife dot or Indiana Wild, sorry, Indiana Wildlife dot O-R-G is our website. It's as simple as clicking on the uh, join link and become a member and we are uh as you said we are a member organization we just sent out our our annual member appeal we're going to keep doing that um we we utilize our membership in a variety of ways for projects on the ground be it be it restoration of 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 areas cleanups um occasionally some trail building activities uh, we have various programs. We just had our second annual Conservation Top Shot, which is a great event uh, where we got a bunch of folks together. We did sporting clays, um, had a great time just chatting about shared interests and such. Uh, we have our annual conference coming up in, in early February of 24. Uh, but as a member, you get access to all of that as well as you first know about all the programs that we're offering right now. We're doing a lot of, of monarch tag-ins um, because this is the time of year where they're trying to get as much food as they can to make that amazing trek down to Mexico. Always amazing. Dan, it's great to visit with you. Thanks for your introduction to Indiana Outdoors. We look forward to being having you be a part of Indiana Outdoor family and always an open phone here for you. Best of luck to you and all the great men and women that lead the uh, Indiana Wildlife Federation. Thanks for being here. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity, Brian, and thank you for what you do to get everybody informed about what's going on in our state. Well, I'm working on everybody, but thanks again. Have a great Labor Day weekend, my friend. Thank you so much. You as well. Appreciate the opportunity. My pleasure. It is the Indiana Outdoor Show. I, your host, great visit with the Indiana Wildlife Federation. Don't go anywhere. We're just getting this getting this thing started. See, I need more caffeine. It is the Indiana Outdoor Show brought to you by Indiana Donor Network, driven to save lives.org. Right back after this. Well, happy Labor Day weekend. It is the Indiana Outdoor Show. So great to visit with you. As always, remember, we're brought to you by our friends at Indiana Donor Network, driven to save lives.org. Making progress. Sign up to be that organ and tissue donor when you buy your hunting and fishing license or go to the website and do something good. We've got a lot of need out there for sure. Many thanks to the Indiana Wildlife Federation, Dan Borat, new executive director. And as mentioned, it's always my thrill and privilege uh, when we can get... Guy Relford, the gun guy, joining us now on Indiana Outdoors. Guy, it's been a minute. I hope you've had a great summer. How you been? I've been great. It's been a really good summer, and I'm really enjoying this little bit of cooler weather here recently. So, no, it's been a great one. I hope you've had a great summer, too. I have indeed, and it's been 
busy. You look back and say, so how you been? I'm like, God, I don't even know what I've done. It's been so crazy with, even though you have nothing on your agenda, it seems like trouble finds me. That's my, that's my skill set. Trouble finds me guy. <laughs> I hear you. Now, I haven't seen you out shooting sporting clays in a while. We're going to have you to know, make a point of getting out and uh, bust some clays here sooner than later. I know. And, you know, now that I got a new hip at the end of May, uh, I can actually walk around and that might be a better thing. It's the other, It might be a good thing now to get back out because I have, for whatever reason, uh, been recuperating and then got all good. And then my other joint said, hello, we're still here. Yeah. <laughs> Don't pay attention to us. <laughs> well, hey, a little, a little uh, what do they call it? golf with a shotgun that would be uh, would, would be great for both of us so uh, yeah let's make that happen all right my friend hey i just wanted to uh, kind of give you the microphone here for a little bit because i know as one of the country's leading second amendment constitutional lawyers based here in indiana regular contributor wildly popular show on our home station wibc on saturday afternoons you've had a lot to say and talk about why don't you just take it from here well, sure. I mean, one thing is that uh, we're really watching what's going on in the courts um, right now, really all across the country. And this all stems from the U.S. Supreme Court's decision in a case called New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin. And it just came down, uh, as, as you know, Brian, but it just came down last fall. And the immediate effect of the case was to rule on the constitutionality of New York's what they call the May issue licensing scheme for handguns. And what that means is New York, like seven or eight other states, had a system that said, well, you can come in and apply for a handgun license, a, a, a permit or a license to carry a handgun, typically concealed. Um, and in most states like New York that have this system, that you apply, and then some government official, some bureaucrat, gets to scratch his chin and decide whether you have a sufficient need to carry a handgun. And and in New York, it was really a high bar to get over to get a handgun license. And in places like New Jersey, it's almost unheard of. And and it's, basically, you had to establish you're, you're under an existing threat, um, you know, of someone trying to hurt you or your family. Um, and, and just living in a high crime area wasn't good enough. Just having a general desire uh, to protect yourself and your family and your home wasn't enough. Um, you, you had to have some particularized need that demonstrated um, that, uh, that 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 you had uh, a sufficient reason to get a handgun license in the eyes of some government official, and 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 a lot of us have been saying for years those systems are illegal because you have a constitutionally protected right to bear arms under the Second Amendment, and here in Indiana under Article One, Section Thirty Two of the Indiana Constitution, and and nationally we've been saying those systems they turn a what is a constitutional right into a government bestowed privilege. And that's not what the right to bear arms is all about. That's why we have a second amendment. And so that case was decided last fall and the Supreme court did the right thing in a six to three opinion and came down and said, no, this is unconstitutional. And they said exactly that, that this is a right. And when some, some bureaucrat gets to decide whether you get to exercise that right or not, it's not a right anymore. It's a privilege, and that's not how the Second Amendment works. So that was the immediate effect. But more broadly, and actually for us here in Indiana, more importantly, they also said that the test for determining what's constitutional under the Second Amendment is fundamentally different than what courts have been using for quite some time. Courts have been using this system where 
it, it, it basically was a balancing test, and it looked at the at the interest of the government in regulating uh, firearms or arms in, in in some particular way, and then it kind of looked at the level of infringement on the Second Amendment that that imposed, and it sort of balanced them to say, well, when you have a really compelling state need, like the need to keep people safe, and it's only just kind of sort of an infringement, then that's okay. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm simplifying that, but that's essentially what it was. And a lot of us have said, hold on. I mean, why is a little infringement okay? And why, why is there a balancing test at all? Well, the Supreme Court in that same case uh, threw out this balancing test where they applied different levels of scrutiny based on the, uh, the extent of the infringement and said, no, you know what? This is really much more simple. And this is an approach that had been espoused by a lot of the justices, including, you know, a lot of us watched Brent Kavanaugh's confirmation hearings, and he talked a lot about this in his confirmation hearings. He said, no, the way to determine constitutionality under any constitutional right is just to look at text, history, and tradition. In other words, you look at the text of, of, of the right, of the amendment as it's spelled out. What does it say? What does it mean? What does it cover? And then if something falls within that text, so that it's an infringement, then you you look at the long history and tradition of the regulation of that right under under uh, U.S. law since the founding and even before the founding, looking at the laws you know from England and other places in Europe where our law you know really was derived, and you look at the history and tradition of the regulation of that right, and the the state then has the burden of showing that that this regulation is consistent with that long history and tradition of regulating the right, and only then does it past constitutional muster. And and when that came out, I said, oh man, this changes everything. Because those states around that have, that have uh, passed, like say an assault weapon ban, quote unquote, and you and I know that's a political term made to demonize popular rifles, but to use that terminology, you know, they, they've said, well, it's a balancing test and, and it's just a little infringement because we're just taking this one right away. Uh, to own one particular type of firearm, um, but there's this compelling need to regulate these dangerous weapons, and so that's okay. Well, this says no. Hold on. Does you know is 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 this covered by the right to bear arms? Well, the answer is yes. Now, what's the long history and tradition of banning these? Well, there is none. It's a very recent phenomenon, and so it just doesn't pass muster. And so I predicted when this case came out, everybody said, well, it has limited application because it really just deals with this May issue system. And Indiana threw that out in 1980 in a court decision way back when. So we've had the right system, which is a shall issue system. So it it, 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 it didn't affect us. The Supreme Court's opinion didn't affect us directly uh, in that way. But I said, oh, but wait that we're going to see gun control laws all across the country get stricken down under this new analysis um, of text, history, and tradition. And that's exactly what we're seeing. And it's really kind of exciting. Um, We've seen the prohibition on uh, 18 to 20-year-olds being able to buy a handgun in a gun store. One court, not in Indiana, but elsewhere, found that to be unconstitutional. Another court found the law that says if you're under a domestic violence order of protection, um, when you haven't been convicted of any crime, there's just an order that's been issued against you. That's unconstitutional. Um, we uh, we've and, and, and we've seen um, several others fall as well. What we just saw in Massachusetts is a, a judge ruled, and this is really exciting. This is just one judge in state court in Massachusetts. So we can't get too excited, but it shows you the direction this is going. Sure. One judge just recently ruled that the law that says the 
someone with a New Hampshire who's legally carrying under New Hampshire law who just happens to cross the state line and come into Massachusetts but doesn't have a Massachusetts handgun license. The law that says, well, Massachusetts can put him in jail for not having a Massachusetts license when he was legally carrying in his home state, that's unconstitutional. So so this could lead downstream, and it's a, it's a long way away, but certainly everything's trending in this direction. It always, it always does, and we know that. It, 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 it does. This could actually lead to national reciprocity where you and I can carry our handguns in New York and New Jersey and California and Connecticut and all these other really restrictive places just because the courts come out and say, you know what, no other constitutional right. As this one judge in Massachusetts said, no other constitutional right we can think of ends when you simply cross a state line. And that's exciting. So anyway, I forgive the long stream of consciousness there, but these decisions are coming down rapidly and it's really exciting because I think it's really going to expand gun rights in the, in, in this country, and, and it's all going in the right direction. Guy Relford, our guest, the gun guy, as always, Gus, our guy, it's great to have you be a part of Indian Outdoors. Don't f- ever apologize for your long streams of consciousness. They're great and a value <laughs> added here. As always, appreciate your time on Indian Outdoors, and we're going to stay in touch as we follow some of these issues downstream, as you say. Always. No, it's a pleasure to be on, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your weekend. Guy, great to visit with you. Best of luck on this Labor Day weekend. Thanks for being a part of Indian Outdoors. Mm. My pleasure it is. What a great guy. My pleasure. It is the Indian Outdoor Show. I am your host, Brian Pointer, brought to you by Indiana Donor Network, driven to save lives.org. We're going to find out about the fall boat and RV show. What's that all about? Coming up next, right after this. So good to be with you. It is the Indiana Outdoor Show. I, your host, Brian Pointer. Many thanks to all the stations that carry Indiana Outdoors and have for all these 25 years, believe it or not. And here we are, Labor Day weekend, a lot going on in the great Indian outdoors. Don't forget about it, but we have stuff to look forward to here in just a couple weeks. As mentioned at the top of the show, another Renfro production, the Fall Boat or, or Fall RV Show. Joining me now, Kevin Renfro, Renfro Productions. Always great to visit with you, my friend. It seems like it was just yesterday we were all at the Indiana State Fairgrounds, and now you're going to be back there with the Fall Show. How you? How are things coming? Things are coming along great, Brian, and and I don't know, is it just me, or did the summer go by like in a flash? I didn't even think we had a summer. (laughs) I'm telling you, it's amazing how fast the summer has gone by, and it it does. It seems like we just got out of the uh, Indie Boat Sport and Travel Show, the Ford Sports Show there, so... Well, you guys always do such a great job with Cincinnati and now Indianapolis, and that's going to be coming around here after the first of the year. We're going to put that on hold and talk about it here in the coming weeks. But I always like this fall show. Tell me what the specific point of this fall show is. I know you got a lot of dealers coming. Is there inventory out there? Are they happy, excited? But what's what's the purpose of this fall show? Well, this show is probably the uh, tightest show with regard to stuffing the West Pavilion full of product. There's there's a lot of product in the marketplace this year on both side and the RV side. And what really sets this show apart from the February Ford Boat Sport and Travel Show is uh, the fact that it's just like car dealerships. They have a certain amount of uh, room on their lots, uh, you know, for units and that kind of stuff. And so there's a lot of inventory out there that they are 
uh, really anxious and ready to deal on to, to make room for the 24 models. And this is the time of year that a lot of the dealers go to their dealer meetings. They, they've ordered their boats. Uh, boats will be on their way so that they really, uh, they're motivated uh, to sell. And that's a good thing for the consumer. So the good uh, news I'm hearing, Kevin, from Renfro Productions fall show coming up is we had heard for so long that there was just way backlogs and expensive to get RVs in particular. And it sounds like that supply chain issues kind of resolved itself. And now they've swung the other way and they're ready to make some deals. Absolutely right. That's absolutely right. There's, there's uh, just a lot of product, a lot of choice um, out there. So if you've been looking for a boat or an RV, uh, the other thing that sets this show apart, Brian, is the fact that the dealers will be bringing in used uh, units that have been gone over. Uh, they're, you know, just in great shape. So if you're looking to maybe just get into an RV or a boat and you want to see some used uh, stuff, uh, there will be a lot of that available, too. So there's just a huge variety and a huge choice. And, you know, for a $9 ticket, uh, you'll spend more money on gas going to uh, one dealer. Uh, it, it's so worth the price of admission t- to be able to go into one location and see uh, all the dealers all in one place. And if there's something there that you're not finding, all the dealers will have poster boards up with units they have back at their lot and that sort of thing. So it's really, if you're in the market, you, you can't miss this show. That is actually a very good point. You're going to spend more money on gas going to Richmond or one of these other locations than you will to come down there for nine bucks. Heck, a lot of people spend more than that on Starbucks each day. It's, it's, the, it's worth the price of a cup of coffee. There you go. I like that very much. Of course, Renfro Productions, one of Indiana's greats, and um, I'm glad to hear that uh, September 22nd through the 24th, Indiana State Fairgrounds, I assume they can get tickets online? Yep. If you just go to uh, IndieSportsShow.com and then click on the Fall Boat uh, and RV Show, and it's right at the top there. It says tickets. Uh, click on click there, and it's just an easy couple clicks, and uh, boom, you got your ticket. Well, and, I'm look- and you get a, a discount uh, for uh, for buying your tickets online too. So you'll save a dollar by uh, going to the website. So I'm going to hard pivot here because I got you on the line, but it's not too soon. And I know you said, where'd the summer go? There's really no rest for the Renfro Productions team, you and Mitch and all the, the folks there, because it's one it's one show to the next, and you're already on to the Boat Sport and Travel Show in Cincinnati, which is going to be right after the first of the year. Tell me, what, how's that all coming? It's coming along great. That show, the January show, completely sold out. And we are working on just some uh, other types of programs, uh, you know, some seminar stuff, just uh, different kinds of family-oriented programs. We're putting those things all together. But uh, January is looking fantastic. Uh, We've been able to expand on uh, the RV side of things in uh, Cincinnati. We've uh, We've got a much bigger area 
um, uh, with RVs and that sort of thing. So the choices there on both on the boat and the RV side are great. It. And then, of course, the travel and tourism. Well, we're going to be, as we always do, dedicating a lot of time here as we approach the holidays and around the turn of the corner. And we're going to have plenty of time to talk about that. But right now, the Fall Boat and RV Show, September 22nd through 24th. It's hard to believe we're already in September and we got this show it. coming up. So, Kevin, as always, best to you and the Renfro family for what you do for Hoosiers and all those across the Midwest. And we'll look forward to seeing you out at the show. Sounds great. Thanks, Brian. My pleasure. It is the Indiana Outdoor Show, one of my favorite people. Don't go anywhere. We're going to wrap it up. It's Indiana Outdoor Show. I'm your host, brought to you by Indiana Donor Network, driven to savelives.org. Back right after this. So much fun, so little time. Always learn something. It's the Indiana Outdoor Show. What did I learn today? I'm stealing from Dan Borat, the executive director of the Indiana Wildlife Federation. He called himself a feral child. I'm using that. I still think I'm a feral child. What a great show. Always great to visit with Guy Relford and get an update on what's happening with Second Amendment gun issues. One of the nation's leaders when it comes to 2A and constitutional issues, never without drama across the country, and it soon will be here, and that's why we have great conversations with Guy. Dan Borat, as I mentioned, stealing the feral child uh, comment that he made, identifying himself as such, but the leader of the Indiana Wildlife Federation and doing a great job. Complex, for sure. A lot of issues ahead, as you heard him describe. And we have the fall RV show coming up the 22nd, 3rd, and 4th of the month. Kevin Renfro, another Renfro production. Always great to have him be a part of Indiana Outdoors. Very excited about that. Stand by. Maybe getting a camper. We'll see. Folks, remember, turn in a poacher. 1-800-TIP-I-D-N-R. Be safe. Enjoy this beautiful weekend. Get out and enjoy friends, family. And we will be back and gathered next weekend. Be safe, everybody. See you outside.